Hi there and welcome along to the On The Whistle podcast. I'm your host, Zane Nabi, and joining me today to talk about the CAF Champions League final is our star-studded lineup. If we were a front three, we would not be Messi, we would not be Mbappe, and we would not be Neymar. We'd be Nabi, Mezahi, and Haworth. Meha Mezahi, North African football expert. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, my good man? Yeah, I'm doing very well. It's uh, We made it through another season, another long African football season. We only have these uh, upcoming qualifiers to go, and then we can finally have a month or two off. So looking forward to it. Amazing, amazing. A man who never, ever has a day or minute <laughs> off on this podcast is Alistair Howard. Alistair, always good to see your young smile. You fill me with such energy with your youthful exuberance. How have you been conquering the world? Zayn, let me tell you, I don't get a moment's rest when I've got my kind of taskmaster, Zayn Nabi, pushing me every single day, making me do this, that, and the other. But I'm, I'm doing well. As, as Maher said, looking forward to a little bit of rest, although for me, covering a lot of women's football as well, yeah. the fun just gets started with the World Cup. Football yeah. never rests, man. Like These guys never give, give us a break, do they? No, There's no, they something. shouldn't. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't, right? And listen, for those of you listening out there, we want you to join Africa's biggest football bry. You can find us at OTW underscore podcast. Send us your comments. Send us your questions. Send us your emoji love. We love to hear from you. And today we get to celebrate what was a memorable two-legged final in the CAF Champions League. We had the incredible Al-Akhli win their 11th continental title. They are the kings of Africa. They are, as we know, they own North Africa as much as the other countries, the Algerians, the Tunisians, the Moroccans, don't want to know this Egyptian club, have conquered again. Um, the two-legged final, Al-Akhli beating Widad, the winners from last year, 3-2 on aggregate after a 1-1 draw in Casablanca. Um, it was an incredible game. It was um, incredible excitement, particularly for the fans. And Meher, I remember ahead of the first leg, I'm going to rewind a little bit. I saw on the Twitters you were saying that you actually like the fact that there's a two-legged final and not one showpiece event in a neutral venue or at one home ground. I thought you had articulated that well, really, Bell, and without stealing your thunder, why is it that you do like the two-legged affair? Well, I mean, unlike uh, European football, which has moved to, or has been at a one-legged final now for, for a very long time, for decades, um, and also scrapped the away goals rule just a few years ago, in Africa, we still obviously have held on to both of those. And I think it's been the right decision for a few different reasons. Number one, playing away in Africa is very, very hard. I mean, the travel is difficult. Usually you don't fly direct. You're stopping sometimes in Istanbul, sometimes in Paris, uh, and taking, uh, you know, uh, sometimes commercial flights to, to these matches. Um, and then the atmospheres that are generated in some of these stadiums are, are infernal. The intimidation goes way past the pitch. Uh, Yanga were complaining about USM of Algiers supporters <laughs> lighting fireworks and flares outside of their hotel so they couldn't go to sleep. Uh, there's flares, there's lasers. So I think you really have to reward the away team for putting in good performances and scoring goals away from home. So I, I do like, I think the logic of it still applies. Whereas if you're in Europe and you're playing, I don't know, for me, it doesn't really matter if you're playing in Benfica, if you're playing, I don't know, in Barcelona. It's pretty much the same thing. It's the same process. Yeah, some places are marginally louder than others. But we've gotten to a point in European football where it's very uniform. And I still don't think that's the case in African football. Well, 
you've hit on something that was a fantastic advertisement for the African game. That was the crowd in Casa. And also the week before it was the crowd in Cairo in terms of the color and the fandom and the TIFOs. Do you think that the fans and the way that they got involved in the game was just the right pictures and images we needed to get the right publicity out around this final. Yeah, and if you understand the nuances of it all, it's even more meaningful. So Al Ahli, this was only the second time that they had this amount of supporters in Cairo International Stadium. So in previous years, they had played home matches, but they were playing in Burg Al Arab. They were not playing at home, which is the Cairo International Stadium. So the, the first time was actually earlier in this Champions League campaign when they played against Al Hilal. Um, that meant a lot to Al Ahli supporters. It felt like a time before the Egyptian Revolution, where there no, were no attendance caps, there were no limits, mm-hmm. and and Al Ahli were the the cream of the crop, really. And and after the Egyptian Revolution, they had a few years where they really suffered. So this is the second of two amazing spells in Al Ahli club history. The first was between two thousand five and two thousand nine, when they made four consecutive finals. They won three of those. Mm-hmm. This year, they've also made four consecutive finals, and now they've won three of them as well. So Al Ahli, that was great to see. And my goodness, Casablanca, I was there last year, not this year. I was there last year for the one-legged final. And I really think that was the craziest atmosphere I've ever been to. Those Widad supporters, mm-hmm. usually you have you know a section behind the stands that's very rowdy and synchronized. But at that Muhammad V Stadium, you get the whole bowl, the entire 60,000 mm-hmm. chanting and singing in unison. And that's what really makes it another level. Well, we spoke about the clouds, certainly five-star performances. Ali, I have to say the actual football was pretty low on quality. Set set pieces deciding the final. Um, I mean, from that perspective, some time wasting also. How did you see it? I mean, it was certainly an advertisement of African football in, in some of the best and kind of maybe more controversial ways because, you know, over these two legs, and again, I think, you know, to go off Maher's point, I think it's another reason why the two-legged final is, is really good because, it you know, we saw the week before, or our, uh, last weekend as well, is the, the UEFA Champions League final, one leg. The last four seasons, it's all been 1-0, all KG tight affairs, not much going on. Whereas when you have the two legs, you have... 90 minutes where one team, the onus is on them to attack. The onus is on them. And we saw that in the first leg where Al-Akhli did pull off, you know, again, not an incredible game overall, but some of the, you know, the goals, Al-Shahat's talent in terms of finding Percy talent, you know, some brilliant football in there. But in in the second leg, it was anything but. It was attritional. It was time-wasting. It was kind of everything that you come to expect from a massive North African. Quintessential, match. yeah. North African derby. Quintessential. Perfect. Because yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have to absolutely. ask both you guys this question, right? You had Percy Tao, who's arguably been the player of the tournament. Um, you had... Um, you had um, Al-Shahat, who's also been in, incredible this tournament and particularly brilliant in the first leg. Why was it that they weren't able to hit their stride in the second leg? Or am, am I not giving uh, Widad enough credit with how they were breaking down the attack? Well, I think, yeah, you're right to point out those two players. I think they were the best players, along with the center half, Mohamed Abdelmunim, uh, throughout mm-hmm. Al-Ahli's campaign, really. Um, but... The, the way that these North African derbies are played, you know, especially, especially after Widad got their goal, they're going to try to slow down the rhythm as much as possible. It seemed like every sequence of play is punctuated by, you know, either players refer- arguing with the referee, somebody feigning an injury, 
you know, uh, a, a, a cynical foul. That's the way that, you know, these North African teams play. They, they intend to break the rhythm. And when they do that, they can frustrate you. And we even saw a lot of frustration from the Ahli players, you know, snapping at some of the players, uh, getting reactionary yellow cards. It tends to, it really was working. And I, I thought there's no way that Ahli's going to come back into this until they, they scored uh, very late in the match. Sorry for the spoiler alert. But uh, <laughs> I thought that kind of match didn't really... It doesn't really suit the style of play of Percy Tower, Hussein, and Shahad. So that's why I think they were less effective. Mm. Well, I hate to talk about the man in the middle, but it was Bamlek Tessima's last game. Uh, Allegedly, reportedly. It, Some reported. Ethiopians are saying, uh, maybe not. He's coming for, <laughs> his comeback tour is, is still on. <laughs> well, I'd like him to have a comeback tour because he certainly had a mixed final. Um, Ali, what did you make of the performance out there? There were some um, interesting decisions. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, obviously there was some, you know, t I would say, frankly, terrible decisions in terms of not sending off El Shahat um, for when he got, you know, physically pulled back by him. And then also kind of then in the second half when it was, um, um, was it Mohamed Hani or? Yeah, uh, Mohamed Hani. Who got, who, twice. Who got two, two, two yellow cards and didn't get sent off, which again, feels crazy. But I, I think... You know, it's really easy and we love to do this, you know, same with Jenny Sikazwe in, in AFCON mm. to just put all the blame on, on the referees. But kind of the reality is we have a, a massive, massive problem in football with the way we treat referees, the way we approach, the way they're taught, you know, and, and I think we see that in every facet of football, whether it's talking about VAR, whether it's talking about um, referees, you know, in this space, in, in a massive North African derby, the reality is, is Tessema shouldn't have to be the one telling these players to not be pushing him. You know, he should have the authority to send them off because there's a precedent of players who, when they disrespect the referee, when they get in his face, when they, you know, cross that line, they get punished. But the reality is in football, we let that line be pushed, be pushed, be pushed to the point where now you can be intimidated. And particularly, you know, I cannot imagine the emotional stress. You know, we think about the players. Imagine yep. being a referee in that environment in Casablanca or in that environment in Cairo, giving a decision against the home fans, giving a decision, you know, against anyone, that the amount of tension that is in that game. And I think that is a huge, a huge problem. Yes, Tessema did not have a great game. I hope it's not his last game because I think he, he has a lot more to offer because I do think he's, he's one of our better referees. But I think in a lot of ways, this was just another, yet another example of how referees have been let down. We saw the same in Europe where in the Premier League, referee ended up elbowing was Andy Robertson, you know, and it's that environment where referees make poor decisions when they're in an environment where they don't have support, where they're under constant pressure. Um, so I think, you know, yes, he did. He had a really bad game. Um, fortunately, it didn't kind of, there wasn't any calls in terms of penalty decisions or anything like that, that, you know, visibly cost would have the game. Although I guess the red card, would have changed the game. Um, but I think it, it makes us really need to have a conversation in a wider sense of why are referees not getting the protection they need? Because we hear it week in, week out, ex-referee has been attacked. You know, this is a game where where he was refereeing against against Widad, who's in attendance, Fauzi Lecha, who, you know, allegedly headbutted him. The very same referee. <laughs> what was it, three, four years ago? So, like... And this is this is when when he was um, the president of of Berkan, but like that's a club president headbutting allegedly a referee. You know that cannot be allowed to happen, and for that environment to be created. So I think we need to take a long hard and, look at ourselves. And, and I empathize with him because 
Hussein Ashi had to tug on his shirt. I think it was the 26th minute or around the 30th mm-hmm. minute. If he sends him off right there, that's the story of the match. It's, ah, uh, mm. I can't believe he ruined the, the final. You know, uh, 30 minutes in, we didn't even get to play, and he's he's killed it. We're down to 10 men, you know? So I empathize with him in that he doesn't want to make himself the story. You know, good referee is a referee. You don't, mm. you don't realize. You don't notice. You don't pay attention to. And I empathize with him there. And, and even, I think, 10 minutes after that, uh, Sambu, the, the Senegalese striker from Widet, also put his hands on him. It wasn't very physical, but he put his hands on Bamlek as well. And then in the second half, Bamlek got in a few players' faces. So, so it's like one of those where like it just became like the style of officiating. I mean, in that match, he sort of fought fire with fire. And I think overall, under those circumstances, he probably made the right decision not to send off uh, Shahat. I know by the letter of the law, it's not the right decision. But I think he navigated it well so that we could at least have a final. Now, if you want to crack down on it, send a point of emphasis to all the clubs. Say, look, this will absolutely not be tolerated this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, before the match, speak to both captains. Look, anybody touches me, they're getting the straight sending off. But at least he salvaged that final in that sense. Yeah, and I, that's the point. I think there needs to be that precedent set at the beginning of a season, you know, and we see the same thing across Europe, across Africa, across Asia. You know, like mm-hmm. what needs to happen is at the beginning of the season, there needs to be, you know, a memo sent out to every club, every federation saying these are the new standards. If you cross them, you will not get away with it and immediately implement it. Because like you said, he can't suddenly become a stricter ref just because it's a final and it's an intense situation. He has to manage it in the way in which he's been put in a situation to manage it. And I think, yeah, like you said, given circumstances, you know, he's not done as bad a job as I think we would be led to believe by by kind of just the surface of it. Now, I can't help but look at this tournament and put my... South African cap on for a minute Uh-oh. because you know that's where the bias lives. <laughs> we have to weave ourselves in to everything because if we're like Americans and we're like English, if we're not in the narrative, it's not interesting. But Zane, sorry, does... are you accused of being a Pirates, a Chiefs, a Sandowns fan? What are you? What do people think you are? Okay, I'm gonna make the sign and let's see if you can get it. Okay, pir- Pirates. <laughs> what What I will say is based no, on no, 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 no. Do you know? I the don't sign? know the sign. Yeah. I thought I thought this that, is Pirates. Okay, pirates. what's this? That's the Pirates, or so that's Pirates, right? <laughs> I'm Abafana Bestende, the Backhill Boys. Oh, Golden I don't know Arrows. them. Okay, Golden Arrows. Okay. You won't, you won't, you won't. We okay. are like um, Sundowns. We're nicknamed the Brazilians, but we try play like Brazilians. Okay. <laughs> um, you'll know, you'll know a coach who coached there once upon a time. It was the man who was one of the assistants at um, at at um, at Sundowns. It is not. Do you, do you know who it is? Do you know who who, who the coach is? Mm. I'm testing you here, Marze, here, because it's great. Mankoba Magnitsky. Yeah, so he was the one that was uh, co-coach was with, uh, with McWenna, yeah? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And he uh, used to coach at Golden Arrows when I used to cover local football. Okay. Wow, over a decade ago. And they played a really good brand of football and they won what would be, be the equivalent of the League Cup. And they were the only team in my city that were there. Prior to that, I was a Manning Rangers fan, which you would have no interest in, but Courtney, who's on this pod, that was they won the inaugural premier soccer league in south africa Got it. and they did a leicester before leicester even did it and then they went bankrupt <laughs> <laughs> not 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 putting any omens on leicester but 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 i have to ask you i have to take you back to a point in the football season where sundowns are flying high they're looking excellent ronwin williams saves a mm. penalty against al hilal al hilal win they qualify and Al-Ahli are knocked out. Lawrence Collar came on the pod, was doing a review, 
and said, watch this be the moment that sundowns regret and Al Ali go and win the tournament. His words, no word of a lie, have come to fruition. But when you look back, <laughs> Ron Will Williams save, I mean, should, should they have played it another way? Egyptian could fans have, have been joking way? that they should sign Ronwin Williams or the Al-Hilal defender, Atara Tahir, who missed that penalty, who had it saved, to an honorary contract of sorts and, you know, <laughs> compensate them for that because they, that, that was the turning point, really, for Al-Ahli. And, and to be fair to Al-Ahli, I mean, they had a hectic start of the Champions League campaign because of the congestion and fixtures. Mm. They, they were at the Club World Cup. And one of the things that I think this coach, Marcel Kohler, has done a really good job of is they seem to bounce back very well. Whenever they, they get behind, you know, these rough patches of two, three matches, they, they bounce back really strongly. And they met, they did that time and time and time again. And now they've won uh, four trophies this season and they're going to win the Premier League in probably a matter of weeks. So just an Ahli being an Ahli really mm-hmm. so great. And that, that is the difference at times, you know, at the high, very highest level, it's, it's, a, it's a game of very fine margin, margins. <laughs> And, and bear in mind the congestion. They have, what, six games in hand in the Egyptian Premier League? Yep. So you, a curse, cursory glance at the table and you're like, oh, they're in second. You know, maybe things aren't going that well. And then you realize, oh, they're only two points behind pyramids, but they have six games in hand. I mean, like the schedule for them has been absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we saw El Shanawi as well uh, on, on the point about Williams mm. take, taking off his medal and giving it to Schubert who had to play in the first leg, who, who didn't qualify for a medal because I don't think he had enough um, game time and he wasn't in the match day squad in the second leg. They need to mail mail that medal to yeah. Ronwin, man. <laughs> he, he did just as much. <laughs> Ronwin, who's come on this pod when he was captain of Supersport, so a friend of the show. Ronwin, we know you have to do your job and you did a great job saving the penalty, so please take that in good humor. I have to ask you, Maher, we talk about the Club World Cup. We know that in Europe, people might not take it as seriously um, as other parts of the world, we mm. know the South Americans always take yep. it seriously. We know in Africa, we see that as a great shop window. And similarly with Asia, I have to ask you, Al Ali have performed amazingly at this tournament in the past. What are your expectations going into the tournament? I mean, could this team hold the amazing Manchester City to a draw? Or could they I mean, keep the score low if they ever got them in a semi? Or... Am I even asking a question that's fair? I mean, Manchester City's so good, right? They're so good. That's yeah, the problem, come on, you know. Inter, Inter yeah. didn't, I mean, Inter, they didn't. They didn't roll over Inter. So look, the best side, the best African result in a Club World Cup was finalist was Raja Casablanca in 2013, yeah. ten years ago now. Uh, and TP, TP Mozambique as well. Uh, they were Raja were at home when they did it, so they had home home support yes. behind them. Uh, look, Ken. El Ahli do it. I have questions about what their squad is going to look like in December. So they've already had one midfielder poached by a Qatari club, Hamdi Fathi. Uh, he just signed today, I believe, to Al Wakra, I want to say, in, in Qatar. And I wonder, are they, is Mohammed Abdel Munim going to be poached? You know, that, that their star defender. What about uh, Hussein Al Shahat? Because what's happening right now in the Gulf, in Qatar, in Saudi Arabia, is you have a spending spree, you have a blitz, you have money being spent everywhere, and one of the favorite targets is North Africa. One of the that's one of the best markets for those for those leagues. So, if they can resist, if they can keep their squad, they probably need a striker. They've been playing Kahraba as a number nine. He's more of a natural winger. If they can get you know a, a proper striker, hold on to most of their players, I think they can go pretty far. It's going to be in Saudi Arabia. They're going to have a lot of home support. If not. 
Uh, I have my doubts. And, and Manchester City, I think, is, is going to, if they can continue in the form that they're in, I think they're going to run over everyone. Well, I will say, I mean, I was I was at the Club World Cup this year, this year in, in Morocco and watching Al-Akhli go up against Real Madrid. Obviously, I don't think Real Madrid are quite as good as Man City as we've seen. But, you know, in in many ways, they went toe-to-toe with Real Madrid. You know, El Shahat, again, had an absolute stormer. He made Camavinga look, I don't even know, like a U16 defender and he turned him inside out repeatedly, even moving onto that right wing to target him. So I would say, you know, they, they have it in them in terms of trying to t- go toe-to-toe with these big teams. I think what we saw in that game particularly was a bit of a naivety, you know, and in the, in, in the way in which they, and, and I even felt this in the game against Widad, is it felt like sometimes Alakli doesn't know how to be the small team. They don't understand that sometimes they, they are the team that has to defend, go on the break, you know, and I felt that in that first half against Widad, you know, Widad didn't create much. There wasn't much kind of clinical um, football in the final third, but they got through Al-Akhli's midfield press time and time again. And, you know, we saw, you know, moments before they scored that free kick to take the lead, you know, they had a free kick in the exact same position yeah. that Atiyat Allah, that, that time his cross kind of went straight into El Shanawi. But time and time again, Al-Akhli just didn't know how to defend deep, didn't know how to keep their shape. And that's the sense that I got. And I, I, and I totally get that. You, you know, there's arguably no other team in world football that is expected to dominate in the way that Al-Akhli are expected to. You know, they are the favorites for every single Egyptian Premier League, every single uh, CAF Champions League. So to suddenly go from that and jump into a one-off fixture mm. against, you know, a Flamengo, a Palmeiras, a Man City, like suddenly you have to learn how to be the small team. And that is an incredibly difficult... But that, that is the target. They realize that they're the club of the century. Last century, they're probably going to be this year's, this century's club of the century as well. The target is become the first African club to win the Club World Cup. They, that's definitely mm-hmm. in the minds of all the players, all the supporters, all the administrators. It is a real target for Al-Ahli. And, and can I also just make a brief side point? You know, uh, Maher's talking about Saudi, Saudi football. You know, I was about to message our group saying, you know what we need? We need a podcast talking about Saudi football, <laughs> the PIF's investment, how it impacts Africa, but more specifically how it impacts, you know, our friend of the show, Pizzo Mosemane. And then sure. what do I see the news today is, is Pizzo is, has left Al-Akhli, um, despite not being paid his wages for the last four months. One of the clubs that have, are getting the investment from PIF, you know, read into that what you will, but, you know, a, um, you know, a, a black coach who's done so well wherever he's gone, goes to Al-Akhli whilst they're in seventh, turns them around, takes them to first, gets promoted, and then suddenly millions and millions is pumped into Al-Akhli. They're on the verge of potentially signing Mahrez, like, and then Pizzo Mosimane is suddenly pushed out out the back door. You know, read into that what you will, but uh, I'm, I'm not very happy. And we shouldn't be. And we shouldn't be. Gentlemen, I have to ask you, as we'll leave the pod on a positive note, three titles in four years, one of the losses being a controversial one to Widad last year. Is this the greatest African club team ever assembled? Hot mic. This 11. I mean, you mean this squad? Let's talk about the dynasty. Let's let's talk about it over the, the last four years. Because the squad has changed. It's either this one or the one from 2005 to 2009 with Manuel Jose as a coach. Um I think that one was a little bit stronger. When you look at some of the names, Mohamed Abu Trika, Ahmed Meta Abwa El Gum'a, you know, mm. uh, Isam Al Hadari, those were like 
that's the, the, the crux of the Egyptian national team that went on to three-peat in the Africa Cup of Nations. Um, so I do think that side was a little bit stronger. They had a little bit more cohesion as well. You know, they were more, uh, they were more representative of that Egyptian golden generation. Whereas this year's iteration, mm -hmm. you have very important foreign players like Ali Malou, like Percy Tao, uh, like Ali Ujang as well. So I, I do think that 2005 to 2009 side was slightly better, but I think not a lot of justice is given to this current iteration of Al-Ahli. They're very, very good. And what they've done is historic, absolutely historic. Uh, three Champions Leagues in four years is not easy to do. I know it's the second time this, their club have done it. But other than that, I mean, it's very, very rare for, for that to happen throughout the history of this competition. And the manner in which they've been able to do it in the political context that the country's in, where they don't really can't really mm -hmm. rely on their home support that much, you know, uh, they, they're not generating the atmospheres that they're playing for in empty stadiums, whereas opposed to in 2005 to 2009, they had, you know, the Cairo International Stadium was full every single time. So they deserve more credit than they've been given. I think we should start mentioning them in this conversation, but I do think that 2005, 2009, it was slightly better. Hard for me to disagree with that. Ali? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing I would say is there probably isn't quite as much competition as well. I think the last few years there hasn't been as you know some of the strong teams that we've seen over the last decades have haven't been there you know i think like tp mazembe you know where have they been you know mid 2000s even a team like anyimba you know nowhere to be seen now and and some of the other sides like esperance you know some of the algerian clubs aren't at the same level as i would say with that i mean with that alakhli and and even sundowns and i would even say that you know like this season I don't think it's any secret that Widad aren't aren't nearly as strong as they were last season. But I think, yeah, given the kind of context of them not having home support for for much of the this time, but as well as you know, you think about the what was the one season that they didn't win the Champions League? It was last That's season true, yeah. when they were effectively forced to play a one-legged away match. And you know, we know the statistics around African teams in away matches and in Champions League finals. You know, the win rate is astronomically low. And so I think you know that. Even that one loss has a massive caveat. And kind of like Maher was saying, you know, I don't think this is nearly as an iconic team, but I also think a lot of that isn't Al Ahli's fault. I think the, the reason why that Al Ahli team in the mid 2000s and late 2000s was so iconic mm. was because that Egyptian team was so iconic as well. And you had the superstars of Abu Trika and these guys kind of come plying their trade there. So I think that's, that's another thing. And I think this Al Ahli team is really interesting because you have a lot of exciting players. They, they still have the same retention of some of Egypt's best players. You know, we think about Abdelmanim. If he played for any other club on the continent, he wouldn't be on this continent anymore. He would be mm -hmm. in Europe. But Al-Akhli still has that pulling power. But now they're drawing, you know, South Africa's best, Tunisia's best. You know, if if uh, um, Ali Jiang ever actually gets a run in the Malian team, maybe Mali's best. You know, like they're they're drawing from a much wider pool than I think in previous years. But yeah, I think it, it is hard to, to top that, that yeah. Al-Akhli team of, of, the, of the Naughties. And sometimes we do neglect, you know, some of those sides that we see in the 60s, 70s, 80s. We think, oh, they couldn't possibly be as yeah. good. But man, Hafia FC in the 70s with Papa Kamara, with, uh, they had like so many great, great players in that Guinea national team. It was similar to Al-Ahli with Egypt, whereas the Hafia was pretty much Guinea, Guinea's national team, you know, and Guinea were finalists in 1972 at the AFCON, and they, they won three consecutive, three consecutive, I believe, Champions Leagues, or I know they won three, but I believe it was consecutive as well. That, that was a great team. You had some great Kotoko teams as well. 
Um, and Yimba, as, as Alistair mentioned, you know, at the turn of the century. So there, there have been a lot of great teams that I would probably put ahead of this current iteration of Al-Ahli. Um, but I think the 2005-2009 Ahli was the greatest team ever. And I think this year they don't get enough credit as they should get more credit. We should be having these conversations more. Wonderful. Meher, Alistair, it's been fantastic sitting around the braai with you. Um, we could keep going. We could throw more coal in. We could throw more meat in. But we do have to make this a wrap. For those listening out there, please um, hit us up at our social media accounts, OTW underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you've come this far, leave a rating, leave a review. It helps people find the show. Mahir, thank you for chewing the fat this week. Alistair, always a pleasure seeing you. Um, and we can't wait to do this again soon.